Hello, Hello. And welcome to the latest edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. Catherine Rubino just decided to yell hello in there, but we're Well, gonna... I like to interrupt you because you're a man and, you know, sometimes that needs to happen. Yeah. So just is preemptive. Well, I mean, li- listen, I, I'm not arguing that that sometimes needs to happen. I just don't know as though that is the instance where it's it needs to happen. It's a preemptive one, just so you get like a little glimpse of what it's like. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So, uh, we're also And Chris. At, yes, <laughs> we're also joined as per usual by Chris. Uh, we're from Above the Law. We're here to talk about some of the big stories of the week so that you can, uh, you know, be informed about the the happenings in the legal world. Well, big news this week. There is. And you know what? I think we can forego small talk for a second here because, oh. I mean, there's just too much else to talk about. That needs a sound too. <laughs> to for, foregoing it do, for do what? We, do we? Talk. I really thought you were on my side on this one, Chris. Hey, look, I think whenever something special happens, that's when you have the fanfare. Maybe literal fanfare, but. This is where you would usually expect to see you know, to hear small talk, but instead we're, we're blowing up small talk because there's too much to talk about. Wow. Yeah. That, that seemed really loud. That was, that was an intense sound. I let's, let's start off with the bonus discussion. Uh, that's obviously one of the biggest areas that we cover. So to recap, uh, how about Catherine recap Mm -hmm. where we were the, the, before the this ex week? ante before today. Okay. Before this week, Cravath had announced their bonus scales right before Thanksgiving, the Monday before Thanksgiving. It was approximately a 15% increase over last year's year end bonuses. So between 15 and $115,000, uh, depending on seniority. And those were year end bonuses. And that's in addition to the raises that already happened this year and the special bonuses that already happened this year. Right. So Cravath makes this decision. Now, Cravath mm-hmm. is historically the market leader when it comes to this. Not every year, but most years, the market waits for Cravath to announce bonuses and then And even, even if someone moves before Cravath, I don't think that the market is really settled until Cravath's opinion is until they weigh in on it in some way. But this year we noted that usually after Cravath makes their announcement, it's a flurry. We're very busy. It's constant, constant updates from above the law. Oh, such and such firm has matched. This firm has matched, blah, 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 blah. This year we had a couple of matches, but not so many. More than even big law firms, we saw a ton of boutiques coming out and saying, yep, we're matching this big law scale. But the big heavy hitters in big law, we weren't really seeing joining the fray. We speculated that folks were waiting for Davis Polk to make their bonus structure known because for the last couple of iterations, whether it be raises or special bonuses or whatever, once someone else in the market has has made an announcement, Davis Polk has come over the top. So it felt very much like some of the big law folks were waiting until Davis Polk weighed in to see what the new scale would be. Right. And it was it was pure speculation that it was Davis Polk, but we felt pretty good about that. We, well, there were just some other. They're the folks uh, over the last few iterations that have come over the top. Yeah. So we thought it might be Davis Polk that and it turns out they moved today, which we are recording this on a Monday. You won't hear this till Wednesday, but right. the Monday of this week. Right. So and what when what we got this morning was what I think some of us would have assumed might happen, which is that it they matched Cravath, but put a kind of a premium, a, a sur, 
a sir bonus on top of well, the right. topic. They match the year-end bonuses, um, which, as we've mentioned in the past, is important because year-end bonuses are what people kind of assume that won't go down year year over year unless something terrible happens in the market or something like that. So they kind of built those in. But special bonuses, those come, those go, those aren't really baked into your salary the same way that year-end bonuses are. So what Davis Polk did was do their match the year-end scale that increased over last year rate that Cravath had set, but they put an additional uh, special bonus out there for the class of 2020 and higher of about 20% of their salary number. And that's in addition to all the special bonuses that have already happened this year, in addition to the raises that have happened this year, they're putting another, and you know, some of the other folks who have matched do have some added bonuses, but it's for either high billers or for folks in, in particular groups or, or some sort of discretionary, unclear who's getting it kind of a system. But at Davis Polk, these are sort of across the board. Everyone's getting this extra money. And we expect quite a few firms to match this new improved scale. Right. So what this does is make the class of 2020, which was already at a 20,000 bonus, uh, they're going to be at 24. Mm -hmm. And the elders with their 115,000 bonus are now going to be up to 138. Correct. Right. So that's a lot of money. A lot of money out there. We very much expect folks to now start matching. I guess there's always possibility that someone out there might come over the top again. Let's, you know, fingers crossed for all the associates out there trying to pay off their student loans before the end of the year. But we um, mostly would expect, I think, a match at this point. Yeah. And and we've gotten a little bit of that already. So Paul Weiss has already come in within about an hour of Davis Polk, I think, mm-hmm. and came in with the exact same match. Now, that's interesting also because Paul Weiss had already announced a separate special bonus, a discretionary bonus fund for certain attorneys, which we all read as attorneys in those practice areas right. that are going crazy. So from there, that if you're in that practice area, you're getting this now plus something else. This now with Paul Weiss joining Davis Polk, this now puts the it begins, it would seem, the steamroller of people to match this Davis Polk number, unless somebody thinks that Cravath is so eager to re to regain their position as a market definer that they might go over the top. But uh, I, I don't know. I, that doesn't feel like Cravath's bag. But you know, you never know. You never know. Mm-hmm. But there are other folks that have led the market at other times that have not. Milbank, for example, has not yet weighed in on their bonuses. So it's 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 certainly a possibility, but what we generally expect at this point is a matching of both the year-end and special bonus numbers that DPW has put out. I think that's right. But big news, uh, big... Uh, it's a reason really... You know, money okay, news. Okay. It's a reason to go to law school, though. Oh, oh do you think? I, I mean, listen... It, it, Certainly, I think that the um, the monetary reward for being at least in big law is is a part of the motivation why so many people decide to go to to law school. Right, right. As opposed to like there's there's other trades they could sure, do, they, like they could are, be an accountant or they something. They could, but that's not why you go to law school. It's not. Yeah. Because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IELTS, a management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. So, you know, you speak of Cravath and market definition. And while it is true that sometimes they are not the firm that defines the market when it comes to bonuses and pay, they are the firm, I think we all would agree, that defines the market 
generally. Whether it's by people following Cravath or not, the Cravath system, I think it's fair to say, looms large over the entire market. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the whole idea of working for eight years as an associate and becoming a partner, which is, you know, extended out <laughs> a bit as some firms have, although we did hear last week of a firm going backwards, right? Mm-hmm. And shortening the partnership track back down again. Yeah, that was that was Kirkland that you yeah. wrote about, which was particularly interesting because Kirkland always has these massively large partnership classes year after year. We wrote something earlier. They had, I think, over 120 folks make partner this year. But they have a bifurcated system of income partners and uh, equity partners. But what was interesting about their announcement about shorting the partnership track was that was for equity partnership. Right. Well, because their income partnership track, I think, is six years there, Mm -hmm. which is also a a kind of a a break. But but, I mean, bringing us... That news, neither here nor there, brings us back to what the original point was, which is that Cravath defines things. When we look at a firm that has a six-year income track and then a nine-year equity track, we say, oh, that's not the normal way, as defined by Cravath saying, here's how we do it, which is because they're a very old firm and have done this for a long time, which is why it's so newsworthy that they are making a fairly major change to the way in which they model the model management oh yeah okay (laughs) what are they doing different the announcement today is that they are going to abandon lockstep compensation for partners which is a mainstay of how the cravath system works for the last almost 50 years so almost half a century they have employed lockstep partnership compensation meaning if you're some hotshot rainmaker, you don't necessarily make more than the person who's tending to their more mundane bankruptcy work needs or something like that. The focus is always on the firm and partners are compensated based on the firm's overall take of the Mm -hmm. year uh, with, you know, staging, you know, first year partners don't make as much as more senior partners, yada, yada, yada. But that has been the model with an eye toward avoiding, you know, generation credit fights, which we've talked about how those are all sorts of problems for law firms as they try to modernize, but also to maintain a firm first focus. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a tongue twister there. Only for you, but go. (laughs) I mean, didn't see you say, and the point is, uh, that was, so that model is being changed to a modified lockstep. Now, there aren't a lot of details as far as what that means. The memo does suggest that the firm is cognizant of potentially losing the firm first focus. And so therefore, this modified model will still most heavily reward the firm's overall success. But it does suggest that partners who are bringing in more money are going to be getting some sort of premium over other partners as an eye towards, you know, potentially not losing folks. Yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting uh, for two different reasons. The first is, obviously, was the first thing we talked about, which is that, you know, there's a very hot lateral market right now, which is why we're seeing these crazy bonus numbers on the associate level, but that's also having sort of this trickled up, whatever, kind of impact on the partnership as well, where folks who have big books of business are looking to get paid for those. And the congeniality of a lockstep partnership 
collegiality of uh, and then congeniality as well, perhaps yeah, maybe. Uh, of a lockstep partnership. Nice save. Listen, there's yeah. lots of vocabulary words we can choose to use, but that 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 kind of a firm first focus, you know, while it might maybe nice and part of what initially gave Cravath a lot of its cachet in the industry is not as valuable anymore. But the other kind of counter to this is, you know, on on my other um, podcast, The Jabot, we talk a lot about diversity and the law. And one of the bigger issues that people bring up time and time again, when we're talking about diversity and big laws specifically is origination credit, mm-hmm. right? And you kind of previewed that a little bit in your earlier answer when you started talking about, you know, who gets this money? How do we divide up? Who who gets credit for this? Should it be the one partner who got it handed down because their great uncle's third cousin's mother's brother knows X at big bank? Or should it be, you know, and these tend to re- reward folks who have, who are built into a system of power and potentially have these connections. Whereas, you know, minorities and women are tend to get the short end of origination credit in a lot of firms. And it's a constant problem. And it's interesting as firms who have relied on origination credit are starting to wonder about how this is impacting their diversity efforts. We see, on the other hand, Cravath saying, well, maybe we need a little bit of that origination credit nonsense going on. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It's it's a weird change now, given the attention that you just pointed out, which is being discussed in the industry writ large. And that said, Cravath has not exactly been lighting it up on diversity efforts historically. <laughs> so maybe this I'm not saying that their system was working, but maybe the origination credit. Yeah. Well the original yeah. well, we know we know that the origination credit system can be problematic when it comes to diversity efforts. Mm-hmm. Is it always no? Is there ways to to fits to futz with it so that it works? Sure, of course. But there's a lot of potential problems there and they seem to be okay with that. I mean, this struck me as I, I just went back to the the kind of blockbuster Ethan Klingsberg move when Freshfield grabbed him from Cleary mm-hmm. along with a few other partners. Right, another firm yeah. that was known for its lockstep partnership. Right. And it, it, it kind of goes back. And well, and this was also a case when Lewis Lyman was nominated for Southern District judgeship, which he, which Judge Lyman now has, but his financial disclosures, there were, there were some eyes raised about how how he could, he's not making very much money. And it's because, of course, the, that firm, much like Cravath, really did believe in the lockstep thing. But it, both of those stories were kind of signals that the lockstep thing is putting firms at a disadvantage at some, in some instances. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because I think it actually is a better way of running a firm. I think it, like you kind of hinted, it trickles down to everything when the partners aren't fighting with each other and having fiefdoms. Uh, work assignments are more equitably distributed. It's not one person trying to hog one associate because their work's more important than everyone else's, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. I think it's a great thing. It's just kind of unfortunate that it it seems like it might be on the on the way out. Well, I mean, there's also the move towards you know, we firms are generally partnerships, but they're really just large corporations at this point. And and the smaller big law firms in terms of headcount are the ones that kept with things like lockstep partnership. But the the massive, huge firms like the Kirklands have don't know never had that that kind of partnership. They've always had the tiers. And this is sort of as the firms get bigger, 
it's a lot harder to maintain those vestigial kind of trappings of, you know, let's you and I take on the world together kind of a model of partnership that I think is romanticized at firms. Yeah. Well, let's hear from uh, Lexicon for a second and be right back. Here's a message just for the attorneys out there. So you passed the bar, joined a firm, or even built your own. Now are you finding out that you're doing more administration than actual law practice? Lexicon can help. Lexicon is a legal services and technology provider with over a decade of experience streamlining administrative tasks like timekeeping, HR, billing, client intake, and more. So you can focus on maximizing billable hours and increasing client satisfaction. Call 855-4-LEXICON or visit lexiconservices.com go to learn more. All right. Well, to lighten the mood a little bit, we can talk. One of the big stories from last week was a Ninth Circuit sparring, perhaps, <laughs> uh, in some opinions. We had a gun control case where Judge Lawrence Van Dyke, who people may remember, it was determined by the ABA as not qualified for that job, but delightful, but was given the job anyway. He has since used his ability to write dissents to mostly just complain about other judges, just writing dissents saying that other judges are, uh, he called them criminals in the past. He calls them possessed in this one, you know, just that sort of stuff. Well, what he's doing is writing for the Supreme Court, right? But I, you mean, feel like I don't even know. I don't even know if he's writing for the Supreme Court because if he were writing for the Supreme Court, I think there would be some case citations in these dissents, and there are not. Uh, instead, what I think he's writing for is to be men, uh, town, town hall editorials or whatever. But it seems as though there's at least one judge who has decided that he's pretty fed up with this. How about enough? Yep, Judge Hurwitz. <laughs> judge Hurwitz wrote a concurrence in which he takes aim at the tone of these dissents and explains that this is wildly unacceptable. <laughs> he also refers to, at one point, the uh, <laughs> one point he says, the way in which you characterize this would be is unfair. It would be no less, no less fair than if I were to say that you make this decision based on your own personal infatuation with guns, which probably was accurate. But, uh, <laughs> but as he says, not what he's going to do. Wait, in, in judge speak, that's that's incredibly incendiary, isn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah. No, this is this is in judge speak. See, the thing is what Van Dyke's dissent is incredibly incendiary in normal person speak. Mm -hmm. And Hurwitz's concurrence is incendiary yeah. in judge speak. And and and, and that's an important distinction to make, because like an American yeah. might get mad and start like cursing out you and your mother and tell the things she does on weekends. But like British people, they say they say things like, hmm quite but like the yeah. quite stings a lot more <laughs> so just in case we have any non-legal listeners for whatever reason you should be more you should be more appalled and shocked at the you don't make unbiased decisions uh yeah the argument. um i feel like the uh folks in the listeners in the south are familiar with the bless their heart uh, <laughs> phrase which i think is about the same sort of thing yeah. so that so that that was going on i feel as though one side effect of this is I, uh, after I wrote this article, I got a video sent to me by a tipster of a few years ago when Van Dyke was still a practitioner and he appeared before the Ninth Circuit. Judge Hurwitz didn't seem all that impressed with him then. Uh, ultimately, he does rule in his favor. Well, partially, it's a affirmed in part and reversed in part, but there's a 30 minutes or so worth of exchange where he's 
more or less dumbfounded at the failure of an advocate to understand basic stuff. (laughs) Well, I think what's also interesting about this Ninth Circuit infighting is that this is not the first circuit that has had this issue, right? The Fourth Circuit, we wrote about this a few months ago, James Judge Wynn called out his colleagues for writing dissents that read like uh, advisory opinions that read like editorials, right? Right. So this is not the first time where folks are calling out these sort of extra spicy dissents that are written not for their legal merit, but rather in order to either drum up the base or to write to the Supreme Court, as we talked about earlier, or, you know, kind of to make their position known as political actors outside of their role on the judiciary. Well, the the Fourth Circuit thing, I think it was was different, but in some ways, in some ways more problematic. So in those instances, you had these on bank hearings where the court says, this is the position of our circuit. And rather than file kind of principled dissents, or just lodge a dissent, these folks were writing treatises with the express intent Mm -hmm. of these being advisory opinions to the Supreme Court, which seems like it is overstepping the proper role of a judge, which is problematic. These Van Dyke things are not touching on that. These Van Dyke things are just, I think that the other people on this court are criminals, uh, which is... (laughs) Sure. Uh, But I I think that's a difference between um, (laughs) the the unqualified judges writing dissents in a lot of ways, too. But but it is very interesting at a time when the federal judiciary's legitimacy is, is really... It's at a crucible moment in a lot of ways, right? And folks writing these out of pocket kind of dissents and members, their colleagues calling them out on how they're deciding to use their power as circuit court judges, I think is very telling for the long-term viability of the institutions. Yeah, no, no. It's great times, great times. We live in fun times. But I wouldn't give her a little bit of precedented (laughs) things happening instead of always un- you know. Unprecedented. Oh. Yeah, see, yeah, precedented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was terrible. Listen. And, and I get in trouble for put it for, for sound effects, and then we had to deal with that. Okay, yeah, not, no. okay. You need to add a Mortal Kombat thing to like the, oh. the soundboard. Or like either like a, a fight or whoopsie. Like one of those two. <laughs> like I feel like it'll be it'll feel like it'll be appropriate. Just my three yeah. cents. Love it. Yeah, no, I mean, we've got we've got a few things. Yeah, I, I, we definitely do need to make some changes to that. With that said, I think we're we're coming close to we're a little bit earlier than we we usually are. That's because we didn't have small talk. Oh, yeah, no, that's true. Maybe maybe you should have been a little bit less excited about your bomb noise. No, I was uh, well. The bomb noise I I hadn't had planned. I was just more excited about getting to the bonus situation because I figured it was going to take a lot of time. But yeah, there's not much else to say. Oh, you wanted to mention the holiday gift guide, which is just gone up. Well, it is the holiday season Mm -hmm. uh, and the lawyers in your life probably do need a little uh, recognition. uh, And, you know, that's always a possibility. Uh, You put together, you always put together our annual gift guide. What was like your kind of most fun thing that you saw on the guide? What would you like? I don't know. I didn't really even think all that much about you just what put I would together like. without even <laughs> yeah no I mean I, I I really thought well I always approach the gift guide from the perspective of not things I necessarily even need like I mm. I think of like 
desk toys for people at their offices and stuff like that, which like, I don't need that or offices. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or like cool luggage for business travelers. And like, I don't do that. Lawyers do that. I I no longer do that. So I don't even think about it in the terms of things that I need. I guess Ellie's book is on there. So, you know, yeah, that comes out actually though in 2022. It does. It's kind of unfortunate. But this is, you can this pre-order is the cycle. it. Yes, you can. But I do think, generally speaking, and one of the things I when I when I perused your gift guide that I would always be the most excited about are the book section. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where even if the lawyer in your life doesn't immediately get around to reading the book, having it on their shelf is you know, especially if you have something from you know a law professor or someone someone equally smart in some way, it's a nice little uh, saddest thing that also can be enjoyable. Yeah. What 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 did you what would you want as a former law student, Chris? What kind of like law student gifts would be the best in your mind? Debt forgiveness. Uh, politicians <laughs> should keep their word. No, seriously. I remember back when uh, back when Kamala was still running, she was like, "Yeah, every month we're in the pandemic, three thousand, like two or three thousand dollars to everybody." I would love that. I don't know for Justice Thomas to speak more often, so I could see like what the what the machinery are doing up there. You know, I'm tired of the. Uh, the faux mystery. Like I want him to ask, ask something like really stupid. You're like, what is, you know, consistency or, you know, like something where it's like, it's meant to be like really probing, but it's like, he wasn't paying attention. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, he, he did, he did actually ask a lot more questions in the zoom era than he ever had in person. We finally got him to start asking some things. And he said, he did say some stupid things. Like he talked about Nebraska as a elite college football program. Burn. <laughs> No, but the other thing interesting about the Supreme Court oral arguments is that uh, Chief Justice Roberts has instituted a new system to make sure all the justices have an opportunity to ask questions in a particular way because of all the data that came out saying that female Supreme Court justices were more likely to be interrupted both by their colleagues as well as by advocates appearing in front of the court than their male counterparts. So he took that very personally. (laughs) Which, you know, fair. And apparently it's it's getting slightly better, according to Justice Sotomayor. We'll see. So check out that. Check out uh, the bonuses. I'm sure there'll be another like nine of them before we finish recording here. Uh, <laughs> by the time this comes out on Wednesday, we by it'll be it yeah. will be many, many something firms. will have happened. So yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. You should be subscribed to the show so you get new episodes when they come out. You should give reviews, give stars, write something. It helps out. You should be checking out Above the Law, the website where you can read these and more stories all the time and kind of get different takes on them than just the ones that are on this show. You should be listening to other podcasts. Uh, Catherine's the host of the Jabot. I'm a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. There's also all the shows that the Legal Talk Network has. You should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, which is the numeral one. He's at Rights for Rent. And... We want to thank Noda, powered by M&T Bank and Lexicon for sponsoring the show. And with all of that done, we will talk to you next time. Peace. Have a good week.